going to be reading from John 15, verses 1 through 17. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, so that you may bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know what his master's business is. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. Amen. Thank you, Randy. So here we are on uh, chapter 15 of the book of John. And uh, a long time ago, a guy named Keith Green, he wrote a song. And in the song, it says, he is divine and we are the branch. Huh? That's the truth. That's what this is about. It's about being connected to the vine. It's about remaining in the vine, remaining or abiding in the vine. And if we do, we will produce fruit. And Jesus said, you know, apart from me, you can't do anything. And we need to believe that. Apart from Christ, we can't do anything. And he said, if my words abide in you, and if you abide in me, ask whatever you will, and it shall be done. And then he starts talking about all this love stuff, right? Love, 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 love. And obedience, obedience and love. They're like the same thing. If you love me, you obey me. If you obey me, you love me. And then he starts talking about, you know, this friendship with God business. You know, I, I, some people come against that whole idea. It's like, we're not to be buddy-buddies with God. He's a holy God. Well, yeah, that's the, there's some truth to that. But it's also true what it says here. You know, he wants to be our friend. It says in the Bible that Abraham was a friend of God. It also says that Jesus was a friend of sinners. There's nothing wrong with being a friend of God. So don't give me this buddy-buddy stuff. He wants a close relationships with you and with me. He wants that abiding, that connected, because when we get unconnected, we're not fruitful. And that's the goal, is to produce fruit. And sometimes he has to 
prune us, right? But this chapter is about intimacy with God, and it should be a core value at Calvary because our mission statement says, you know, we want to know Christ, and, and that's the whole thing about abiding in the vine, remaining in the vine, intimacy with God, friendship with God. What is a friend? Well, how many of you listen to country music once in a while? I really don't, but somebody sent me this on email, and it says, uh, well, you know, the opposite of some of these country songs might define friendship, and the titles go like this. Here's one. How can I miss you if you won't go away? You know, now that doesn't sound like friendship. Or here's another one. You're the reason our kids are so ugly. Or I keep forgetting I forgot about you. Or how about this one? She got the gold and I got the shaft, right? And then there's another one. If you don't leave me alone, I'll go find someone else who will. And this one's bad. I've been flushed from the bathroom of your heart. Someone uh, told me once, no one is worthless. You can always serve as a bad example. And those are some bad examples of friendship. So what is friendship? What draws us to others? Well, number one, we, we want people to encourage us, don't we? Some of my best friends are encouragers. In fact, most people don't hang around people that discourage us a lot. We want people to lift us up. We want people to encourage us. And that's what the spiritual gifts are for. If you've got one, right? It's supposed to be that you can use that gift to edify, to build up the body of Christ. And so we're looking for people to encourage us. Number two, the second thing that draws others to us or draws us to others is that we want people to appreciate us. Now, we don't demand, you've got to appreciate me. No, we're not like that. But doesn't, it does feel good to be appreciated, doesn't it, Roger? To be appreciated as a lay leader of our church? Absolutely. Uh, I, want, I want them to appreciate me for who I am, and there needs to be some sense of recognition, some sense of appreciation. Thirdly, I want people to forgive me. <laughs> I really do. I mean, there are going to be times when I'm going to mess up, and when I mess up, I want people to be understanding. I want them to forgive who I am and what I've done. It's kind of like the sign at the Recovery Church on 40th Avenue and 25th Street. It says, this is a perfect place for imperfect people. I think every church should have a sign like that. The fourth thing that draws us to others is this. I want people to listen to me. I mean, 90% of the people that come for counseling, like at Valley Christian Counseling or even uh, to the church here for counseling, they're really not looking for answers. What they really look for is someone who will just give them a listening ear. And then finally, I think the fifth thing that draws us to others is this. I want people to understand me. You know, I want people to look beyond uh, Dave Mata. I want them to look beyond just the outer person and really understand me before people make judgments about me. Amen? Well, this morning I want to talk to you about somebody who does, who does all five of these things perfectly and wonderfully well. And I want to share with you what Jesus said concerning friendship. And I want, you know, and he gives us, I think, four proofs or four tests of friendship. And here they are. Number one, the first test is what you'll do for a friend. And in John 15, verse 12 and 13, it talks about what we would do for one another. My command is this, love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. Now, that sounds a little drastic. The disciples didn't quite realize what was about to happen. 
And literally within hours, Jesus was going to fulfill that test of friendship. He was going to lay down his life for them. Somebody told me once that if you have just one friend in life, just one person that you can really count on, you can consider yourself to be a very fortunate person. In our test of friendship, what we find is this. Jesus tells us that a friend will do something for another friend more than just the average, just the normal. They will, in this case, do even the extreme. They will lay down their life for someone else. Jackie Robinson, he was the first black man to break the color barrier in the major leagues. And there was a movie made about him. Maybe it was about 10 years ago. I think it was called 42 the Jackie Robinson story. And in every city that they went to, he was jeered. And he was taunted because of his color. In fact, one day in front of his home crowd in Brooklyn, he made an error at second base and the crowd began to jeer. And again, Jackie Robinson felt that terrible feeling within himself of not being liked because of his color. And then if you know the story, it was Pee Wee Reese. He was the shortstop. And as the crowd was jeering Jackie Robinson, he stood, he went over, Pee Wee Reese, he left his position, and he went over to second base, and he stood beside Jackie Robinson, and he put his arm around him. And Jackie Robinson said it was that one gesture of friendship that saved his career. And you know what I think? You know, with all the stuff going on in our world right now, I think we need to put our arm around a lot more people. Huh? We need to put our arm around a lot more people. Amen? Jesus was a friend of sinners. Make a friend. Be a friend. Bring your friend to Jesus. That's the gospel. The first test of friendship is what you will do for a friend. The second test of friendship is what you will disclose to a friend. I mean, look at what Jesus says in verse 15. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my Father, I've made known to you. Friends, share secrets. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and not one of them will perish. Not one will be snatched out of my hand. Jesus says that when we're friends, we're going to confide in one another. We'll talk to each other very openly, very vulnerably, very transparently. He said, I don't talk to you like servants. You know, I don't talk to you like those who would work with me or those who would work for me. He said, I talk to you as friends. I talk to you as those I really love. I share openly. The best friend I have in my life uh, is my wife, Mary. And she's my wife. And, and of the 41 years that we've been married, I think our friendship and relationship has grown closer. Don't you, babe? Come on, so say yes. Oh, absolutely, Dave. <laughs> uh, I tell you, really, there's no one that encouraged. You should see, you know, she just listens. I preach some good sermons in the, in the kitchen. And she just sits there and listens to all that. And then she just says, you know, calm down, you know. But she encourages me. She appreciates me. She forgives me. Oh, yeah. And she listens to me and understands me more than, than anybody and uh, when something good, bad, or ugly happens in my life, you know, I talk with her. And I have no secrets. 
Because we're friends. Because friends are intimate in their conversation. They don't keep secrets, they share secrets. They don't hold back, they share everything happening in their lives. So the tests of friendship, what will you do for a friend? What will you disclose to a friend? And the third test is you love what they love. Look what Jesus says in verse 11. I've told you this so that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be complete. And then verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Is there anyone that Jesus doesn't love? Tell me, tell me who it is. Is there anyone that Jesus doesn't love? God so loved what? He loved the world that he gave his one and only son. In other words, if we're gonna have a relationship, we're gonna love the same people. I love the same, you know, the, we're gonna love the same people I love, I, the same things that I love. The Apostle Paul wrote in, in Romans chapter 12, verse nine, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. You know, when I was growing up, every once in a while, my dad, you know, he was uh, the Italian guy in the family, and he would go out and buy some, some anchovies and leeks. And then he'd melt butter on the stove, and he'd stick the anchovies in there and put it in the middle of the table. And we all sit around the table, and we dip leeks into the butter and anchovies, and we eat this. And I really didn't like them too much, but I thought, you know, if my dad likes anchovies and leeks, I'm going to like anchovies and leeks. And it was the same thing with pork rinds. You know, <laughs> I didn't like pork rinds at first, but because I love my dad, you know, I learned to love pork rinds. And you love what they love. And the third, That's the third test of friendship. And it's like with Mary. I remember when that movie came out, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. Um, it was called Anna and the King. How many remember that movie? You know, and my first choice for a movie would not be Anna and the King. But because I love Mary, I went to the movie. And you know what? I kind of liked it. And we went back a second time, saw it again. So you love what they love. And the fourth test of friendship is you're going to be, you're going to fulfill their requests. In other words, we want to please that friend. Therefore, we want to do anything we possibly can. And if they ask for something, we want to be able to say yes to it. And Jesus says in verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. And then in verse 16, and then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. You see, obedience and love are kind of the same thing in the Bible. Jesus said earlier in chapter 14, if you love me, you obey me. If you obey me, you will love me. He said, whoever has his commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. I will manifest my presence to him if you love and obey and obey and love. It's a promise of God. And he says, I want you to know that when you really have a friend, you really want to please that person, and you want to fulfill the requests they have in life. And I've often said the difference between dating and marriage is very simple. In dating, we try to please the requests of the person that we're in love with. In marriage, instead of being other-minded, we become self-centered and we want our requests met, don't we? Listen, when you have a good relationship, when you have a good friendship, one of the things you really want to do is please the other person. You know what? Nothing makes me happier than for the one that I love to be 
happy. And I can't help but I, th- I felt God was happy today because we were singing, you know, some happy songs to him and in his name. But that's a good relationship when you want somebody else to be happy. Besides, you know what they say, right? You know, if mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And in our relationship with God, you know, if you please God, it really doesn't matter whom you displease. But if you don't please God, you know, it really doesn't matter whom you please. And let me switch directions here a little bit before we end. I think there are several lies in our culture. There's myths in our culture that we bought into about God that keeps us from being his friends. And I'm going to give uh, some of them to you, and then I'll wrap it up. But five myths I think Americans believe or have believed about knowing God. Number one, we just call it the good deeds myth. You know, if I just keep doing a lot of good things for my fellow man, nothing wrong with that. Or if I'm in church all the time, or somehow that's going to give me friendship that I need with God. You know, but the Bible says that we're saved by grace. Through faith, this is not of yourselves, it's not of works, so that we can't boast. It's a good deeds myth. I can't do anything to make God love me anymore, and I can't do anything to make God love me any less. That is the gospel. God so loved the world. He demonstrated his love for us while we were still sinners, while we were powerless, while we were his enemies. He came running after me, like that reckless love song. That's a good song. We ought to sing that one sometime. I think Blake already has. So, myth number two, I want to call it the good life myth. You know, if I just live a good life, if I just, you know, am a good person, if I I'm careful to treat my fellow human beings right and do unto others as I would have them do to me. Somehow I can develop this relationship with God. But the only thing about that is you can't do it. I mean, the Bible clearly says in Romans chapter 3, there's no one that's righteous, not even one. No one is righteous. We have all sinned. We've come short of the glory of God. So there's this good deeds myth and there's this good life myth that goes against the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then number three, I want to call the religion myth. You know, if I just go to church, if I do all these religious things, if I come to Calvary every Sunday and sit in a pew and somehow this will develop the relationship that I need to have with God. And the Bible says in Romans 3.20 that no one, no one will be justified or declared righteous by obeying the law. No one will doesn't work that way. Good deeds myth, good life myth, religion myth. And then the, the fourth myth I want to call the feeling myth. Oh, I just felt God today. And then, you know, you go out and you don't feel God anymore and you wonder where he is. You know, if I could just feel close to God. Nothing wrong. I like goosebumps. I do. I like Holy Ghost goosebumps. You know what people say sometimes, you know, I just really felt close to God. There was something that happened. I just felt close to him. Does that mean that I have a relationship with God then? 
You know, a lot of people feel the presence of God but haven't surrendered to God. The Bible says about demons, you believe in one God, that's real good. But the demons believe and they shudder, they tremble. They get all those kind of feelings about the presence of God. They're not saved. Like Campus Crusade, you know, it should be facts, faith, feelings. Facts, truth, faith, and then if the feelings come, fine. If they don't, I'm still going to believe. Number five, I call it the knowledge myth. I just want to know more about God. That's in our mission statement. I want to know Christ and make him known. I want to know more about God. I want to learn about God. I want to know people who know that, you know, I, I know people who, who know that God loves them, but they still don't have a relationship with God. It's like they want to know more and more and more so somebody can't, you know, catch him and do an I gotcha. Yo, you really don't know the Bible. You know, it's like, come on. The knowledge myth, you know, like winning a Bible trivia contest doesn't mean you have a relationship with God. King Herod, remember, you know, when Jesus was born, he said, hey, you know, to the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees, hey, where's the Messiah going to be? And you know what they said? In Bethlehem. They got it right. In Bethlehem. Micah 5.2. They knew the scripture. They knew everything about the Messiah, but they didn't know the Messiah. They rejected the Messiah. They won the Bible trivia contest, but they didn't know God. So let's talk about this relationship. I think God wants to be your friend today. And there are two things that are very important to know, and I want you to write them down or fill in the blank in the outline. The first thing I want you to write down is God loved you before you ever loved him. Think about that. This friendship that God wants to have with you today, he always begins it. 1 John 4, 19, we love him because what? He first, he first loved us. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He always initiates the relationship. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the, do the door and knock. He's the one who comes to us. He's the one that puts out his hand. He's the one who offers friendship to us. He loves us before we ever knew him or loved him. I know a couple that couldn't have children and so they decided to adopt. There's many in our congregation that have done that. Praise the Lord for that. But because of some complications, they had to wait 11 months to receive that child, even though they knew that that child would be theirs. But even during those 11 months of waiting, this couple began to love that child, even before that child could get home with them. And they talked about that child, and they had a name for that child, and they had plans for that child's life, and they got that child's room ready. You see, they wanted that child, they had plans for that child, even before that child ever came into the family. And here's what I want you to hear this morning. God loves you. And he has a wonderful plan for your life. And maybe you haven't entered into the family of God yet, but I can tell you right now, he is ready for you. He's ready to begin a beautiful, warm, 
intimate, abiding, remaining in relationship with you, which brings me to the second thing I want you to understand about God. The second thing I want you to understand about Jesus is that when you receive him into your life, the relationship becomes real. You see, that's the key. It's surrendering, it's receiving, it's committing. It's Psalm 34, verse 8, you know, taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, a lot of people, they, they're just all, all truth, you know, Bible trivia, no experience, no surrender. Some people are all experience. And, you know, and so they might think, well, if I have a stewed tomato in my tennis shoe, that means I'm saved because I experience God that way. What? You know, but the true Christians are people that take the truth and they commit and truth and experience come together. Taste it and see. Taste him and see that the Lord is good. And so he stands at your heart's door. He knocks and he wants to come into your life and he waits and he waits. And let me illustrate something to you. You see, I know a lot of people who believe in God and they say they believe in God through his son Jesus, you know, and they say that, you know, they believe that God through his son Jesus Christ died for their sins. They believe all these things and yet they've never really begun a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I think the simplest and best illustration I can give you is this pen that I'm holding right here. And if you look at it, I can tell you, you know, and I'll just tell you, I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, if, I'm gonna give it to you. I'm gonna give you this pen. And you'd believe that, wouldn't you? If I said, I'm gonna give you this pen, wouldn't you believe that I'm gonna give you this pen? Yes, but now here's my point. Even though I told you I would give you the pen, and although you believe the pen is going to be yours, it's not yours. It's not yours because the pen doesn't become yours until what? Until you take it. You see, does it become yours the moment that you believe that it was going to be yours or when you reach out and you take the pen? When you take the pen, when you receive the pen, it becomes yours. And that's exactly the way it is with Jesus. You know, in the first chapter of John, we read, you know, he came to his own. His own did not receive him. But to those who received him, to those who believed on his name, he gave them the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, not of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. And he's waiting for you to receive him. Perhaps you've believed in God all your life, but you've never taken this important step in this friendship of, of reaching out, of receiving his love and receiving his forgiveness and receiving his grace, would you bow your head with me at this time? Every head bowed and every eye closed. And, you know, you got to know that every one of us has a hole in our soul. You know, we need forgiveness. And no matter what we do, only Jesus can fill that void. He's the only one that died on the cross and was buried and rose again. And I believe today Jesus reaches out to every one of us and he says to you, and he says to me, I really want to be your friend. And he waits for us lovingly and patiently to open our heart's door and say, yes, Jesus, today I not only believe that you died for my sins, but today I receive you into my life. And I wonder how many here today could say, you know, Dave, you know, I, I do, I see that God loves me and you know, I admit that, you know, there, there is a void or a hole in my life. Something's missing, and I acknowledge the fact that I really need God. I need 
forgiveness, and I want to develop a personal relationship with him. I wonder how many of you right now would raise your hand and say, yes, I want to be a friend of God because I know he's my friend. You know, if, if, you, if that's what you want, raise your hand. Yeah. Amen. You can put your hands down. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I need you. And you can pray in your heart with me. You know, I I recognize that I am sinful. You know, I believe that scripture, there's no one righteous, not even one. And because I'm sinful, I know I'm separated from you, that there is a void in my life. There's a hole in my soul. And Lord Jesus, I recognize that you're the Son of God, the Savior, the Lord of glory that we were singing about, that you died in my place on the cross, and you died for my sins. And Lord Jesus, I recognize you have risen from the dead, that you're alive today, gently knocking on my heart's door. And so I just say, come on into my life, Jesus. I surrender to you. I invite you. I receive you. Come and take control of my heart and my life. Change me from the inside out. Don't just affirm me in my sin, but transform me, forgive me, save me. Thank you, Lord, for always keeping your promises. I love you, Jesus. And let's just continue to pray um, to this one that is a friend of sinners. And Jesus, we recognize that you're, you're actually more than a friend. <laughs> you're the great lover of our souls. And you told us to love you with our heart, mind, soul, and strength, all of it. And to love our neighbor as ourselves. And Lord, we know if we say we love God and hate our brothers and sisters, we're liars. God, I pray that you would reveal to each one of us any root of bitterness, any resentment. We just invite you today to search our hearts and... See if there's any offensive way in us. Give us grace to get rid of all bitterness and to forgive each other just as in Christ God forgave us. And God, I pray for those who have lost loved ones. May the gospel of Jesus bring hope to their hearts and comfort to their souls as we remind ourselves again that you are the Lord of life and you're the conqueror of death and you have prepared a place for those who trust in you. And God, I pray for families that are beaten and battered by the world, torn apart by busy schedules, mistrust, bitterness, Lord. May may our church, I pray that our church home may be a haven of rest, a refuge, a spiritual hospital where sick people can come and get better. May we truly love each other like our text was exhorting us to do so that the world would know that we are your disciples and God, we pray for shut-ins. Lord, may they remember that just because they're shut-in doesn't mean that you are shut out of their lives and that they are abandoned, God. Father, we pray for our leaders. Lord, we pray for our president. We pray for all those in authority that we might continue to live peaceable lives. Lord, to live in a country where we are free to speak and free to worship and free to pray and free to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God, may we understand with freedom comes responsibility. 
Lord, even as we think of uh, voting in the fall, that we would study the issues and make up our minds before you and before your word and to vote our conscience in November. Lord, thank you for an opportunity to worship you right now through giving and to bring in to the storehouse the whole tithe. Lord, and to bring in our first fruits and to honor you with our wealth. And so as we bring our offerings and your tithe and as we honor you, Lord, may you be glorified. And Lord, even as we sing the, the old hymn, as we gather in the offering, Lord, we're reminded that you're, you're a friend. What a friend we have in Jesus, all of our sins and griefs to prayer. Thank you, Lord for who you are and what you've done for us and what you want to do in us and with us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus said at the end of our text, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other.